I'm Mike, and you're listening to Mike on the Mic. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about a couple games I've been playing lately, and the big one is definitely Animal Crossing. I waited so long to finally be able to play it ever since they announced it back in 2019, and this franchise has meant a lot to me since New Leaf on the 3DS, and it's just helped me through a lot of difficult times in my life, and it's always just been a fun way to get my mind off of things and to just kind of relax. So the day New Horizons came out, I was pumped. I had uh, bought it and downloaded it back in February digitally, and then I just prepped myself for the hundreds of hours I was going to be putting into it. Um, So I gotta say, things have been going pretty well. Finally unlocked the uh, island designer feature where you can terraform your island and make it exactly the way you want. So what that includes is uh, you get the option to kind of like... Uh, I wouldn't say like delete, but you get the chance to change your island by adding pathways out of dirt, stone, um, bricks, that kind of thing. But you can also change like the rivers and the cliffs that you have and um, destroy them or like make more. So you have a lot of different uh, customization options in the game. And since I got that feature, I've been putting even more time into it. Um, One of the elements of the game that I only recently got into is the stock market. So for those of you that don't know, every Sunday this character Daisy May will come to your island and will sell turnips at different prices each time. And you can buy as many as you'd like and then you can sell them at the shop. And the interesting thing about it is that the prices vary each time. No matter if you're buying or selling, they're always varied. And so when you buy them, let's say they could be like 80 bills, and bills is the uh, in-game currency. So you could buy them for like 80 bills or 120. So, um, yeah. And throughout the week, um, each day the price varies um, before 12 o'clock and after 12 o'clock. And so you could either make a huge profit off of it, or you could take a huge loss on uh, the money that you put into it. So I actually did some research, and I found out that there is a website specifically for turnip trading. And so people will host their islands, that way you can sell your turnips and make a huge profit. So needless to say, I spent a few hours doing this, and I had turned the 250,000 bells that I invested into turnips into about 3 million. (laughs) So it's been a pretty productive week already. And I thought it was kind of hilarious, but also really awesome that there's this whole community in Animal Crossing, like, dedicated to this turnip trade. (laughs) So, yeah, that's, like, a uh, kind of funny but really cool, you know, facet of the game that I just recently got into. And, uh, yeah. The other game I've been playing quite a bit of is Stardew Valley. And if you haven't heard of it, it's a farming-slash-life simulator. And so if you've played any of the uh, Harvest Moon games, it's a lot like that. So in the game, you inherit this farm in a remote town from your grandfather, and you decide to move there. And so you get these tools uh, to get started working, and there's like a bunch of stuff that you have to clear out to make room for your crops and whatnot. So, you know, you get started and you're pretty much just left to figure everything out by yourself. There's not really much for tutorials or anything else. So you can farm, you can raise animals for, like, uh, milk, stuff like that, cheese that you can sell. 
Um, you can go into town and make friends with the other characters and whatnot. And so there's so many different characters, and what's really unique about the game is that, um, I guess, I wouldn't say unique, but, like, it's really cool because every character has, like, so much detail put into them, like, their personalities and everything, so, like, you know, they're really memorable characters. And there's also a, uh, different, uh, event, like, each week or something, or let's say it's, like, a birthday or whatever, you know, a holiday or just, like, a regular event, um, that they have, like, all the time, so you can participate in those, and, uh, really, I've found it's one of those games that you could start, like, playing at, uh, four o'clock, and ten minutes later, you look at the clock, and it's eight, so it's just a lot of fun, and it's really addicting, and I've had this game for a couple years now, and I've put in so much time into it, and I have made a few different save files, that way I can try different things, like, they each, um, have like these different layouts so they have a standard one forest river um four corners there's like a bunch of different options for what you want to go for in the game and i had stopped a while back to get into some other games and the reason i've got back into it recently is because my sister was interested in it and she just got herself a switch a bit ago and in an update they added a co-op feature so I thought to myself, like, hey, that'd be really cool. You know, I always love this game. It'd be cool to, you know, make a farm and play that with uh, friends. And she had a similar thought. And so we came up with the idea to, you know, start a farm on the game. And we would be able to kind of like work together and do all that. And then my mom overheard us talking about it. And she was pretty interested in it, too. And funny enough she had ended up buying the game as well and she's been playing it on my dad's switch and so we've been kind of like doing that and it's been like a really fun way to spend time with each other and to stay connected with everything going on i mean we haven't been able to play a whole lot um together but you know we're all pretty busy um yeah so we all have our own individual save files that way we can you know we don't have to play together all the time so for my mom and my sister it's been like a really good way for them to get like familiarized with the game and i'm actually starting to have to get familiarized with some of the new stuff too because they've added so much since i stopped playing in these new updates and it's just insane but the thing that's like really impressive to me about the game is the fact that it was made by one guy and he's the one that's been updating it and doing all the stuff with it and it's just crazy that he was able to turn this like little passion project into this like huge community for this game and he's made so much money from it and it's all well deserved like the game is so good um yeah but it's like it's really cool though you know and uh it's a good time i highly recommend you check it out um so those are a couple of the games i've been playing lately and uh, i really recommend that you check them out if you're interested um there's a lot of videos on like YouTube and you can, you know, figure everything out about the game if you want to. Um, so yeah, go ahead and check those out. Animal Crossing is exclusive to the Switch, but Stardew Valley you can find on pretty much every platform and they even have a mobile version of it, I think. So uh, yeah, anyway, that's all the time I have. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. Stay safe and have a good one.
Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about the use of music in a film. So for a little context to just how much the score of a film means to me, my favorite scores are basically being played all the time. So, like if I'm doing any pre-production on a film or just working on something like writing up a script, um, doing any storyboards or just, you know, kind of relaxing or chilling, I always have something playing in the background. (laughs) And the score of a film to me has always been really its own character in that world and in that film. Like you take a heart-wrenching moment in a film, now add over a track that just 100% does not work in the context of that moment and it'll take you right out of the scene. Um, It's so vital for the music to not take away anything or just be there, you know? It should always be adding this emotional depth to a film and to whatever you're watching on the screen. And sometimes scenes would be better off if they didn't have music, but um, there are also some scenes that would have been improved by using some music, at least a little bit. (laughs) And I think... Something that I'll never get tired of in film scores are these grand orchestras, you know. You got, like, the brass section, woodwinds, drums, and everything, and just, like, this really elegant, regal feeling. And there's just something so beautiful about the, you know, about that feeling that you get. And uh, recently there's been a lot more uh, experimental, synthetic, you know, any adjective you want to use to describe it, (laughs) but like more digitized um, scores for films. And I think it's really cool that there's a lot more experimental work with various different uh, instruments and tools, like um, just working on a computer and, you know, doing that kind of thing. Uh, So one of my favorite composers, I guess, would have to be Hans Zimmer. And a few of the scores of his that mean the most to me would be Interstellar, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, and the uh, movie Man of Steel. And I listen to these scores just all the time. I mean, the music is just really iconic, and I'll catch myself humming them occasionally while I'm working on something or just in my free time. And they're also some of my favorite films, anyway. Uh, I've watched recently... Um, a couple of movies, Good Time and Uncut Gems, and their scores were really unique to me, and they really use that synthetic, um, that synthetic route really well in the films, and in the context of the films, it just, it really captured the tone and the feeling, and it just worked really well, and also, um, I've been listening to the score for Taxi Driver and Joker a lot lately, and um, they are just incredible soundtracks. Like, um, my favorite track from Taxi Driver would have to be Thank God for the Rain, because it just really captures the entire feeling of the movie so perfectly in just like two minutes, and it's just insane to me. And, um, it's just really incredible that they were able to do something so well with that um, score to really capture the mood of not only just the scene, but it really gave this wide depth to the city in general. And in Joker, I think 
my favorite track definitely has to be Bathroom Dance. And it's just so iconic that, you know, it just, it blows me away every time I listen to it, that mood and that feeling that you get. And you can just like visualize the entire scene just from listening to that uh, simple track. And uh, actually, Joker won an Oscar for the uh, best original music score in the 2020 Oscars. Um, so yeah, very well deserved. Um, and a big question revolving film scores that people will ask is, you know, what makes a score to a film, you know, good or bad or something like that. And really, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer to that. Truthfully, like all art, it's subjective, you know, in filmmaking, it's entirely subjective. You know, I don't think there can really be any true objectivity in relation to art or filmmaking to be specific. You know, like we all have our own preferences when it comes to these kind of things, and that's perfectly fine. It makes it interesting to have a variety. You know, there's never a set template for what you need to make a good film score, or just like art in general. Like, oh, this painting, I, you know, some person could really enjoy it and they could really dig it, but some person could look at it and, you know, think that it's, you know, just the worst thing that they've ever, ever seen. So there's always going to be differing opinions on things, and I think it's good. It provides a healthy landscape that way. There's not just one set thing all the time, and just um, just mindless copies of each different score. There's always something unique about each one. You can really feel the composer's um, passion and creativity, and that they really worked their best to create a score that would fit well and really encapsulate the tone of the film and create its own character in that film that will make you, you know, stand there and just think like, oh my god, how did they accomplish this, you know? And that's the feeling that I get from some of the scores that I was just talking about, like Dark Knight Trilogy, Interstellar, Joker, uh, Taxi Driver, like just really iconic work. And I think it's good. I think you need to have that, um, you need to have your own scores that you look at and say, you know, this is what I think, um, works for my taste. And then, um, as a filmmaker, you know, look at that kind of thing and say, um, so this is what, you know, I think works best for a film. And you can look at that and basically, uh, learn from that and, you know, really see, um, how that works in relation to a scene, how it helps, um, really create a depth to the scene and to provide more of an emotional context to a scene. So there's a lot that can be learned from listening to scores, I think, and, um, I know for me, I will continue to listen to a bunch of film scores because I think it's just a really good learning, um, a good resource for learning, and also just great source for having something to listen to.